Good morning. Greetings in Christ's name. I have been blessed this morning. Just the songs that were selected and the opening, just all together, once again, painted a picture of a God who wants to change us and make us more like Him. And that's inspiring. As Robert said, that when we have a small group of and the church is small, that doesn't mean we can't be effective. Christ had 12 followers and they turned the world upside down, so to speak, because he was in it. I, I'm just, I'm blessed by that. And really, the thoughts that I want to share this morning kind of go along on that same theme. The title of the message is, Are You For Real? And I think, I, I really want to, um, I want to emphasize that I'm not preaching this message because I think this congregation is not authentic. I think this is a very authentic group of people, and I'm, I'm blessed by that. And I just want to encourage us to continue in that, just continue to be real before God and, and to cry out to Him and to recognize our own need. I'd like to read from uh, the book of Genesis a little bit this morning, chapter 3. We all know that Genesis chapter 3 is the story of the fall. It's the story of the serpent and how he came to Adam and Eve and how he deceived Eve and and Adam apparently wasn't so much deceived as he was led into sin with his eyes wide open, which kind of, uh, I think, maybe God allowed that because it shows kind of both sides of being led into sin. On the one side, we're completely deceived. On another side, we might know better, but we do it anyway because it's convenient for us. I'm going to read from verses 7 to 13 to begin with. And this is after Adam and Eve had fallen, what happened? It says, And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? And the man said, The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. So a couple of really interesting things here. First of all, notice it. In, in the King James, it uses Lord God, which in the Hebrew was Elohim Jehovah. And so it speaks about both sides or, or two different facets of, of two different aspects of the gods we serve. Elohim is the great and mighty, powerful creator. And then Jehovah is the God of, who, is, who is self-existent, but yet seeks relationships with humans. So he's talking about a relational God who's all-powerful. And we see here also that Adam and Eve were completely naked before the fall, and they were innocent. I think this depicts their innocency. They were free from sin. Therefore, nakedness was not a problem to them because they were completely innocent, like a child is. And yet when they sinned, they recognized suddenly that they were, that they were undressed and they were uncomfortable. And this was part of the effect of sin. And what did Adam and Eve do? They tried to fix it. 
they took fig leaves and they sewed those fig leaves together and tried to make themselves in King James here it's it's uh, it's it's translated aprons but it literally means something to cover themselves they were trying to protect themselves from their own nakedness because they were no longer innocent now it's in, interesting I looked up looked up the fig information about fig leaves because I wondered well, why did they pick fig leaves in particular well fig leaves are large they're broad and flat says that the average says 12 to 25 centimeters if you translate that to inches it would be more like six inches to a foot in width and so they're large enough and tough enough that you can kind of stitch them together I'm not sure what they use to stitch them together maybe some kind of you know fine uh, fiber from a plant or a vine I'm not sure what they used but they stitched them together but they were insufficient they attempted to make up for their own undoneness and unholiness by stitching fig leaves together and then what happened they went and hid themselves and that gives us two of the impacts of sin one when we when we are in sin we try to cover up and number two we hide ourselves from God because we feel uncomfortable in his presence and then if we jump down to verse 21 we have God and his solution. It says unto Adam also and his wife, did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothe them? And the Lord God said, behold, the man has become as one of us to know good and evil. And now lest he put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken so he drove out the man and he placed at the east of the garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. So we see Adam and Eve, when God confronts them about their sin, immediately they start passing the buck. Adam says, well, this woman that you gave me. And then Eve says, well, this serpent beguiled me. <clears throat> and yet they were all responsible. They were both responsible for sin. They, yes, Eve was beguiled by the serpent, but she should have remembered that God gave her the truth. Who was this serpent that he was smarter than God? And here's Adam. Yes, Adam followed his wife into sin, but why did he? Why wasn't he a leader? Why didn't he step in front of his wife and say to the serpent, no, you're not talking to my wife, you're evil. So they passed the buck, but God had a remedy. He gave them coats of skins. Now, isn't it interesting that in order for these coats of skins to be made, I believe animals have to die. And I think so the first lesson to Adam and Eve here was that sin brings death. And then the Lord gave them something that was sufficient to cover them. And then he said to them, you got to go out of the garden. I can't have you in here anymore because this place was made for creatures who live forever. You can't live forever anymore. You have to leave the garden. Very sad. Very sad. And yet, there's, there's so many lessons, so many object lessons in this happening. They're sad object lessons, but they're real. And one of them is the attempts that men make to cover themselves when they're in sin. And it's a facade 
it doesn't work. It's not real. It's not authentic. And again, as I said before, that's one thing that I really appreciate about this congregation. I feel like I'm in, the, I'm in the presence of authentic people, real people. They're not playing church. They're real about their relationship. We have a lot of examples of people in the New and Old Testament who are not authentic. Judas Iscariot is certainly one of them. When you go to Matthew chapter 10 and you read about what happened in one of the many incidents where Judas kind of tipped his hand a little bit and you can see a little bit of who he really was. <clears throat> there, Jesus says, starting in verse one, and when he had called unto him his 12 disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. Now the names of the 12 apostles are these, the first Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas, and Matthew, the publican, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Levaeus, whose surname was Thaddeus, Simon the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. These 12 Jesus sent forth and commanded them, saying, Go not into the way of the Gentiles, and into any city of the Samaritans enter ye not, but go rather to the lost house, sheep of the house of Israel. Then, when we go on down in John 12, verses 1 to 6, and this is one of the things that's interesting about the Gospel of John, it shows the divinity of Christ, it shows the humanity of Christ, and it also is much more descriptive of the inner workings of the disciples when they went through this. This talks about Judas Iscariot and who he, what he did in this incident. Beginning at verse 1 of John chapter 12, Then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. There they made him a supper, and Martha served. But Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. Then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. Then saith one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him. Notice it said in the earlier passage, but in that little insert, this was the one who betrayed him. Here it says it again. Why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag and bare what was put therein. Notice here Judas is putting on his fig leaves. He's trying to come across as a pious individual. He says, why? Wasn't this, this, this soul and the money given to the poor? <clears throat> now, by some accounts, they believe that this, the 300 pence he's talking about, was about a year's wages. So that means that if you put that in today's terms, think about a year's wages. If somebody came in here and poured out some fragrance that cost many tens of thousands of dollars, we would say, wow, that's pretty expensive. And yet, Judas didn't really care about that. What he cared about was that he didn't have that money to put in his purse because I think he was stealing money from the purse. And think of what he could have stolen and gotten by with. He was hiding who he really was. He was wearing a facade. 
just like Robert mentioned in the opening, not being real. And that's what Judas was. I want to talk a little bit about some of the facades that humans create today, that sometimes Christians create. One is testimony without obedience. In Isaiah 29, Jesus talked to his people about this, and starting, or not Jesus, but, the, but God talked to his people about this, starting in verse 13 and verse 14. He says, Wherefore the Lord said, For as much as this people draw near me with their mouth, and with their lips do honor me, but have removed their heart far from me, and their fear toward me is taught by the precept of men. Therefore, behold, I will proceed to do a marvelous work among this people, even a marvelous work and a wonder, for the wisdom of their wise men shall perish, and the understanding of their prudent men shall be hid. When we fail to obey God, we lose our wisdom. And we can see this acted out in our culture today. As our culture becomes more and more perverse, we have men, including men like our current president, who is a Catholic, who claims to be a believer, yet has no wisdom at all when it comes to making moral decisions and right decisions. And the link between evil and stupidity is very real in Scripture and in real life. When we sacrifice our principles, we lose our wisdom. Testimony without obedience. That, unfortunately, is the experience of so many Christians today not walking in obedience. And because they don't obey what the Bible says, they become less and less like Jesus and they lose the wisdom of God. Another one is works without a relationship. Matthew, the book of Matthew, is a book that captures a lot of Jesus' message to the scribes and Pharisees, especially chapter 23. If you read chapter 23, Jesus lambastes them. And verse 15 captures the heart of that, where he says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye compass sea and land to make one proselyte, and when he is made, you make him twofold more of the child of hell than yourselves. These men, Robert mentioned this in the opening, these men had no relationship with God. They performed works, but they did it not because they loved God, not because they had a relationship with God, but because it brought them prestige and honor. And so they were socially following God, but in reality were not. And what did he say to them? He said, you can pass sea and land to make one proselyte, in other words, one convert to your religion, to Judaism, and then you turn around and make him twofold more the child of hell than yourselves. What a sad thing. And we can have that today. We can have people who act out religious works, but they have no relationship with their God. And then finally, religion without faith. And then in Matthew 15, you catch Jesus talking about this, and again, talking to the religious leaders of his day, when he says, ye hypocrites, well did Isaiah, or Isaiah, the prophet, prophesy of you, saying, this man, people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. Religion without faith. 
We have no faith. We have a very sad experience with God. So, is it possible to honestly seek God and to honestly follow God in today's world? Or is that some pipe dream, something that can't really be done? Well, I believe Jesus made it clear that we can experience an honesty of heart that allows us to follow him. In Luke chapter 8, verse 15, Jesus is talking about the parable of the sower. And he says, but that on the good ground are they which in an honest and good heart, having heard the word, keep it and bring forth fruit with patience. Notice they're honest. They have an honest and a good heart, a heart that really wants to follow God. And what does he say? They bring forth fruit with patience. They keep following God faithfully and patiently, waiting on him because their hearts are honest. For them, faith is real. For them, their religion is real. They're honest in what they believe. In Colossians 3, verses 9 and 10, Paul drove this home in his uh, message to the Colossians where he said, lie not one to another, seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. <clears throat> Don't lie to each other. Be honest. Have an honest heart. That's very important to God. Authenticity, being authentic, being real, being honest is so important to God. There's a story that's told, kind of a humorous story, about a man who was pulled over by the police uh, some years ago. I think this happened in Tennessee. And they pulled over a man with a North Carolina license. But the man had no driver's license. I don't know how they discovered that or how they knew that, but they, they pulled the guy over and checked and he had no license. So they said to him, okay, you need to follow us to the police station and we'll finish the paperwork there. I'm not certain why they had to go to the police station, but they said, we know you're unfamiliar with the area. Just follow us and we'll take you to the police station. Well, he was following them and then they got a call on the radio that said, there's, we've just a driver has been seen that matches an all points bulletin. No matter what you're doing, drop what you're doing and get this man, this guy, we need this guy. So the police officers turned on their sirens and took off. They forgot all about the motors behind them and they went as fast as they could to get to the point where this guy was who matched the description that they were looking for. And they found the man, they pulled him over, they arrested him, and as they were arresting him, here comes this motorist and stops. And he gets out of the car and he says, if y'all will just tell me how to get to the station, I'll go wait there for you. He said, I'm having a terrible time keeping up with you. This man was intent on following. And it was really hard, but he was determined to follow. And you know, in its own humorous way, this is kind of a picture of what life is like sometimes for us. Sometimes it's really hard to follow God. He takes us through some really hard places. But if we really want to, we can follow because we're authentic and we want to follow Him. 
a heart that is not honest can't experience depth. There's no depth to the life and to the theology of a person who's not honest. Have you ever met a person who was just, I mean, it was, I, I met a man once some years ago, actually worked with him at the county jail. We had a jail ministry at that time. And this man came to know the Lord and he was released from jail. He had, he had been serving, a, I think if I remember correctly, he had been in prison and he was on his way out and the county jail was a stopping point on that way out. And so I, a group from our church was working with him and I happened to have a car that was, we were ready to sell. And I said, well, why don't we just give him our car? And when we give him the car, we can help him get his driver's license. That way he can have a job. And so one of the other brethren in the church helped him find a job and, and I gave him the car and, and we, and some of the other brethren in the church said, uh, well, we'll help you pay for the car. And they gave me some money. So it was a joint effort. We were working together. But because I was the one passing the title on to this man, whose name was Mike, because I was passing the title on to him, I went with him to get his, uh, his insurance for his car. And we went into the uh, insurance company. We sat down with the, went into the agency, which was actually there in Grable. And we sat down and we talked to the agent. And the agent asked a series of questions. And one of the questions that the agent asked was, have you ever been convicted of a felony? And Mike said, no. And before we went any further, I said, Mike, stop. You have been convicted of a felony. And okay, he said, and the, the agent said, well, you have what, you know, what, what, what class felony? And he told him, so I'm sorry, but I'll have to, your rates are gonna be doubled as a result. And we got back out the car and Mike said, that made me so mad. He said, that was none of his business. I said, Mike, stop right here. I said, if you are going to follow Jesus, you are going to have to be honest. I said, you lied to that man in there. He could have had you arrested for it. You could be going back to jail because of what you did. I said, that is wrong. I said, you're going to have to face up to the truth of the past and stare it in the face and put it under the blood of Christ, and then you can live victoriously. But if you're going to lie about it, you're not going anywhere. Well, unfortunately, he chose to follow that route. And within a short period of time, he lost his job, he wrecked his car, and he was back in jail. And that's sad because without an honest heart, we're going to experience no depth at all in our Christian faith. In Psalm 1, the Lord talks about that. He says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the water, rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Notice what happens to the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord. He's like a tree planted by a river water. Roots go deep. His relationship is solid because he's honest with God and he's honest with man. 
and God can work in his heart. Booker T. Washington talked about a slave or ex-slave who was freed from slavery. And it's interesting, he was freed, actually, he, he, he was about two or three years before the proclamation of emancipation was issued during the Civil War, before the slaves were officially freed. This man had been a uh, slave in Virginia, and he made a deal with his master. He said, if you allow me to, to go free, he said, I will go and get a job in the North, and I will earn money, and I will pay you for my freedom. I will buy myself. I will pay for my value as a slave to you. And the master said, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll take you up on that deal. So he went to Ohio, and he, they had agreed on the, I don't remember what the exact, or I don't know what the exact sum was, but at the time the Emancipation Proclamation was made, he still owed his master some $300, which was a lot of money at that time. Well, the emancipation set him free. Did he have to pay for that? Legally, no. He was not a free man, but you know what he did? He worked for some years. He laid up the rest of that $300 and he walked back to Virginia and he paid off his debt. That was an honest man. That was a man whose faith was real. He was willing, even though he legally no longer owned it, because he had made an agreement, he kept that agreement. I found that a real challenge. I don't know, that would have really made me, that would have, been, that would have tried my faith. Do I go back and pay that debt? But he did, because he was a real man of faith and a real man of honesty. Satan uses many influences to try to corrupt the integrity of our hearts and the depth of our experience. In 2 Timothy 3, it talks about the last days. And we've probably all read that passage many times. But it is a very good description of the world in which we live. 2 Timothy 3, verse 1, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof from such turn away. For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive women, lead silly, I'm sorry, lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with divers' lusts, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now as Janus and Jambres withstood Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith, but they shall proceed no further, for their folly shall be manifest unto all men as theirs also was. If you look at this passage, you see some interesting things. I'll comment on just a few of them. First of all, I think the other evening we were discussing in our Bible study, we were talking about sin and asking someone raised the question, are there degrees of sin or is 
sin, sin, which is sin. Well, I personally believe there are various kinds of sins. First of all, there, in, in the Greek, there are two different words that are translated sin in the New Testament. One of them means to miss the mark. You know, I might be, uh, I might be in a uh, situation where I have a, a rough day and I'm not trusting God as I should be. And I get frustrated and angry and I, I walk out the door and I kick the dog. And that's really not fair. That wasn't right. The dog did nothing to deserve being kicked. Or maybe I say something unkind to my wife, or I, I don't read my Bible the way that I should that day. I'm angry. I'm somewhat angry at God. That is missing the mark. And God, if you look in, in 1 John, it says, if you confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And if you look at the, at the tense of that verb in, in Greek, it's, it's an ongoing tense. In other words, if we are in a state of mind, where we are confessing our sins. And we recognize, I recognize that by myself, as the song said this morning, as, as Roma commented, false and full of sin I am. That's who I am without Jesus. And when I recognize that I have tendencies that are not right, and I confess that, he forgives that. And I don't have to be in this situation like I once thought when I was a young man. I thought that I'm walking with Christ, I kick the dog and I lose my salvation. And so when I confess that sin, I regain it. And then I, you know, I yell at my wife and I lose my salvation. And I confess the sin and I regain it. That's not true. Okay, there's our relationship with Christ is constant. Even though we miss the mark, if we realize and recognize that, that through Jesus, he, he forgives us. But then there's also, there are sins of the flesh that Paul talks about where he says that they that, do such, that they that do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Sins that are deliberate, willful. If I, if I decide to commit adultery against my wife and I hide that sin, at some point God says, you cannot go to heaven because of your state. And I believe that if I died in that state without confessing my sin to God and, and to humans, I believe, I don't believe I'd go to heaven because I'd be in a state where I lost my salvation. And then there's a third category of sins that the Bible talks about that you see in Romans chapter 1, and you see it mentioned here, without natural affection. Sins against... Um, but what's, what's the word that I could use? Not only sins against morality, but sins against nature itself. So if I commit adultery, for example, that is a horrible sin. But it's, it's in line with nature. It's a man being attracted to a woman. But when you have two men who are together as homosexuals, that is no longer in line with natural affection. And that's also a sin that can be forgiven. Anyone can be forgiven for these sins. We just need to come to Christ and forgive. But anyway, it's kind of an aside, but I'm just giving you my view. You may disagree with that, and if you do, that's fine. I'm not, I'm not here pushing that view. But I think the reason I believe it's important in this passage is that he's talking here about the sad state of affairs in the last days. And I think we're seeing that today. Sin is horrible. I mean, we're seeing the contrast between 
right and wrong so tremendously evident today that it's no longer quite as subtle as it used to be. It's, it's pretty clear what happens when you depart from the gospel. If you are a Christian and you are, are, are looking at the culture around you, you will see some things that are just, they're almost unbelievable. The state where people get to be, they, they get to a point where it's almost unbelievable. That doesn't mean that those sins are unique to today's uh, world. It just means that they are more widely uh, seen today, perhaps. But we have we have Paul, or we have uh, um, the the example of Janus and Jambres, the two mus- the, the two magicians who withstood Moses when uh, when Moses came to Pharaoh. And Moses presented God's ultimatum to Pharaoh. And he said, there, God wants us to leave. And Pharaoh says, well, who's your God? How, how do I know that, that your God has any power? And, and Moses threw his rod down on the, on the ground and it turned into a snake. And then they threw their rods down on the ground and turned them into snakes as well. But Moses' rod, or Aaron's rod actually, the serpent that came from that swallowed the serpents that Janus and Jambres brought forth. And we also see them, we saw them be able to turn water into blood and a few things like that. But they reached a point where they could no longer mask the miracles of God. These were men who deliberately resisted the truth, who stood firmly against truth. And he says, these men become reprobate concerning the faith. They will completely lose their ability to make decisions of even the most basic nature. And that's why in today's world, we can ask the question, what is a woman? And literally stump people. They can't answer that question anymore. That's really sad because of the fact that they have turned completely away from God. We have places that promote corruption in our culture. Hollywood is one of them. We have these celebrities, movie actors and actresses, sports figures, musicians who step up and offer political advice. And I'm thinking, who are you that I should take any political advice from you? You people can't even keep your marriages together. Why would I take any advice from you? And yet, these people are highly lifted up in our culture, unfortunately and yet they're far away from the God of heaven. As we ourselves uh, live in this culture, we can find ourselves facing challenges, the challenge of materialism. You know, wanting to be able to, to succeed so much that we're willing to give up our principles. Or the struggle with wanting a position. I, I've seen this in the political world, and you have too. We've seen men who are willing, and women, who are willing to abdicate their principles for the sake of power. And where does all this come from? It all goes back to failing to be authentic and real with God. I think it's so important that we are honest with God. Jesus wants to remove the fig leaves and replace them with a robe of righteousness. If you look in Matthew chapter 22, beginning at verse 10, so those servants went out into the highways and gathered together 
all as many as they found, both bad and good, and the wedding was furnished with guests. You remember the story, remember the parable, the parable of the wedding where the guests refused to come. I can't come because of this, I can't come because of that. And they brought together their guests. And when the king came in to see the guests, he saw there a man which had not on a wedding garment. And he saith unto him, Friend, how camest thou in hither, not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then said the king to the servants, Bind him hand and foot, and take him away and cast him in outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. What was this man? He was an imposter. Didn't have a wedding garment on. Claimed to be something he wasn't. He wasn't real. But I'd like to close on a positive note. I'd like to think about what happens when we truly allow God to take us where he wants to take us and we truly are real with him. In the book of Isaiah, in chapter 61, we have a, a message of hope. And when you look at the book of Isaiah, the first part of the book tends to be a little more pessimistic than the latter part. Isaiah's pointing to the failures of Israel and the fact that Judah is headed for trouble. He's very descriptive about that. He's very honest about that. But he also says, I think it's in chapter 40, if I remember correctly, he says, comfort ye, comfort ye my people, saith the Lord. And there's also a message of comfort in Isaiah as he looks forward to the coming of the Messiah and hope and peace and joy. And he says in chapter 61, verse 10, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. He hath covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decketh himself with ornaments and as a bride adorneth herself with her jewels. Just think about that picture for a moment. We are insufficient. We are children of Adam. We are those who are unable to be holy by ourselves. We are unable to be real. We are deceitful by nature. But the nature of Christ changes all that. And he covers us with a garment of salvation. So unlike this man who crept into the wedding without a wedding garment, you and I can be wearing a robe of righteousness. I really believe that when, like like I said earlier, when we go back to Genesis chapter three and we see God covering Adam and Eve with a robe of skins, if you, look at the, uh, if you look at the Greek behind that, it gives the connotation of a pretty full robe. You see pictures sometimes of you know, cavemen and have just the essentials covered with furs. It wasn't that, like that. It was a robe that covered them, that God made. And it cost the life of an animal. It caused death. Because God was teaching the principle that death was the result of sin and that a sacrifice by Christ would provide that robe of righteousness that will completely cover us. So when we get to heaven, I don't think we'll be wearing a coat of skins. I think we'll be wearing a robe 
a white robe, according to Revelation, of beautiful righteousness and will be completely authentic. Everyone there will be. Nobody will be hiding their motives anymore. We won't live in a world anymore where you have to question motives. I got a, my wife and I got a phone call the other night. We found out that we won $1.5 million in a Denali, a new Denali, brand new. They even asked us to you know, give them the, the outside color and the interior color. And, and it, we, we had some fun with the guy for a while because he was one of the more polished ones. He actually did a reasonably good job with his English. There were some telltale signs, like he used, he used the verb telled instead of told. And there were a few things like that that you could tell English wasn't his first language. But he didn't even have an accent. He was pretty good. So we played along for a little while, and, and we, we asked these questions, and, and finally got him to a point where he hung up on us because he realized that we didn't really believe in it, that he was giving us the truth. But, you know, that's how it is in our culture. You get a phone call. You get something in the mail, and, you, and the first thing you do is, is this real? Is this authentic? Is this true? Not like that in heaven. Everything will be authentic and real. Everybody will be authentic and real. So I'd just like to encourage you as a congregation, let's keep our authenticity. Let's keep being honest with each other. Let's keep being real with each other. And let's not fall into the trap that people sometimes fall into where they start hiding who they really are with a coat of fig leaves or they try to cover who they really are with fig leaves. Let God cover us with his robe of righteousness.